0: But there are times in sports when we would like to start over again. And just this past Monday in the American League Championship Division Series, the Tampa Bay Rays had fallen behind 5-nothing in the fifth, excuse me, in the third inning of the game. And it, they had fallen behind to the Boston Red Sox. Now, they slowly started to pick away at the deficit until they tied the game 5-5 in the eighth inning. And then, at that point, they thought, okay, one more run and we can win this game. But in the bottom of that ninth inning, the Boston Red Sox scored one more run, so they ended up winning the game, winning the championship over that team as well. And there are times in business when we would like to start over again. And and sometimes we just drool about the possibilities of something that we missed out on. Maybe it was investing in a company 15 years ago that is now this uh, amazing uh, company that is worth so much. Or maybe it was thinking of buying a house three years ago. If we had bought a house three years ago to sell it now there would have been an amazing increase on the amount of money that we spent. It can even happen with hockey cards. This is a 1984-85 Doug Gilmore rookie card. And during my first ministry, I actually bought a whole case of this year of hockey cards. So that's 16 boxes. Each box had 15 packages, excuse me, At 48 packages and 15 cards in each package, over 11,000 cards. And I paid $68 for the case. So I started selling the boxes to the kids in my youth group. But I was just selling them at $7 a box. I was making maybe 25 cents on each of those. And then I Kept two of them for myself. I sold one of them for $125 a few years later. But if I had that whole case untouched right now, it would be worth $10,000. And I was thinking, why didn't I buy a second one at the time and just set it aside? But we were just starting off in ministry, and there was no extra money for a second one. But we look at things like that all the time, and we just wish that we had been able to do things differently. You talk to an inmate doing life in prison for a crime that he committed and he will tell you that he wishes that he had a chance to act differently, to start over again. So we all have those moments from the past where we would like to erase immoral choices or maybe careless words or maybe it was exorbitant purchases, maybe it was impulsive actions or broken relationships We'd all like to relive those moments, and we'd give anything for there to be a land of beginning again. Now, in John chapter 3, Jesus offers a man by the name of Nicodemus a chance to actually start his life over again. It was offering him an opportunity for a reset. And Jesus called it being born again. And it's a spiritual concept that once we understand it, It can revolutionize your attitude and your life. So let's examine who Nicodemus was. We'll look at what Jesus offered him. And then we'll look at how Nicodemus responded to that offer. And hopefully everyone in this room today will have taken advantage of the offer of Christ to begin life new with him. So first of all, let's examine who Nicodemus was. And maybe you can actually identify with Nicodemus in his search. And there are a few words that describe him really well. And the first word that we use is respectable. He was someone who was highly respected in his community. Every scriptural detail about his life indicates that he was that type of man. The Bible says that he was one of the Pharisees and they were the most moral and respected people in the community. And they pledged to follow every little law that was in the Old Testament laws. But Nicodemus was even more than that. He was actually a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a ruling council of 70 men. So these guys were the most respected and brilliant legal minds in all Egypt. And one of their duties was to actually deal with false prophets. And many of them considered Jesus to be one of those. He was accused of that. So it's amazing that Nicodemus would even come to Jesus in the first place. But then to hear him say, We know you are a teacher that has come from God. Now Nicodemus was also a wealthy man. In John 19.39, Nicodemus, who earlier had come to Jesus at night, went with Joseph. He brought about 25 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Now, only a person of considerable wealth would be able to bring that kind of gift to help bury the Christ. Clovis Chapel said this. I think we have it on the screen. Here's a man who was all at once the equivalent of a college professor, judge of the Supreme Court, and a bishop in the church. Now, some of you listening today may be a bit like Nicodemus. Maybe you're the owner of a company. Maybe you're a big executive. Maybe you're the head of a department. Uh, Maybe you're a member of an influential organization. You're moral. You're intelligent. You're successful. Everything about you says respectable. But that's not wrong in itself because we need Christians In our society who are going to make a difference and influence people in that way but we can become so proud of our personal achievements that we have a hard time admitting our need for God and Jesus said unless you humble yourself and become like a little child you cannot enter the kingdom of God have you ever done something like this you get on an elevator And you're going to the sixth floor, so you press the button and you get in. And then you just start kind of looking at your phone, not really paying attention. And the elevator stops, the doors open, and you get out. Because you think you're at your floor, but it's the fourth floor. Someone has pushed the button to get on. Now, what do you do? Do you immediately turn around and get back in that elevator? No, you just kind of coolly walk along until you see the elevator doors close, and then you go back and you push the button for up so that you can go back up to that floor that you're going to. We don't want to admit our mistakes. And Jesus is saying here, unless you repent... Unless you admit you're sinful and make mistakes and need me, you will perish. So it's very difficult for a respectable, wealthy man like Nicodemus to admit his imperfection. And there was another word that is used here, and it's restless. Jesus was a young man, probably in his early 30s. Nicodemus would have been much older. Nicodemus was rich, Jesus had nothing. Nicodemus was part of the aristocracy. Jesus had no titles, no official title. And for this reason, it's amazing that he came to Jesus in the first place. But he came to Jesus because he sensed that there was a void in his life. And in spite of the role he played, he was restless. And he was searching for more than respectability. So there was something about Jesus that intrigued Nicodemus. There was a peace, there was a joy, there was an assurance there that he didn't see in anyone else, and he wanted to know more about that. And then he couldn't dismiss the miracles that Jesus had performed either. I love it when some of you come to me and you say, you know, this person approached me and just noticed something different about me. They said, there's something special about you. And what that special is, is actually the spirit of Christ living inside you. So he came to Jesus at night. And was that to escape the ridicule of his peers? Or maybe was it because he wanted to have a personal conversation with Jesus? But he came with a respectable question because respectable people need the Lord. Billy Graham conducted a crusade in New York City years ago, and a reporter commented about the first night's crowd, and this is what he said. Most of the people at the first service were well-dressed people and not the derelicts from Skid Row that the evangelists came to convert. Now, the Bible does have the power to convert the down and out, the prostitute, the drug dealer, but it's a misconception to think that they're the only ones that need the gospel. Good, respectable people need forgiveness and meaning in life as well. And there will be people who appear to have it all together on the outside, but they're so troubled on the inside, and they're in need of a new life. So maybe you're successful right now. Your job's going well. Your family's together. You're healthy, and that's good. But you can reach the point where you want to go beyond success to significance. And that's an important distinction. So, In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus said, it is worthless to have the whole world if they lose their souls. So all the money, pleasure, power in the world won't satisfy that spiritual hunger that's in the human heart. And people are constantly searching for something to fill that God-shaped vacuum. And Nicodemus didn't know exactly what it was, but there was a restlessness within his soul. And then Jesus surprised Nicodemus with an incredible offer. So this is John 3.3. 3. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot be in God's kingdom. So here are five characteristics of what it means to be born again. First of all, it's essential. It's not optional. If you aren't born again, you won't enter the kingdom of God. And I can't say it any more clearly than that. If you aren't born again, you won't enter the kingdom of God. Now, I was teaching a senior high Sunday school class years ago. I could still do it now. I'm sure I have great rapport with teenagers. But uh, and one session, well, this was when... Rapping was becoming popular in our society, so the writers of the curriculum decide that we should rap in our Sunday school class So I made up a rap and it was horrible and the amazing thing is a good number of those kids are still in the church as adults now I, I didn't drive them away But there was one visual that came with the lesson one day and it said if you are born once you will die twice If you were born twice, you will die once. So what that meant was, if you are just born physically, born once, then you will die twice. You will die physically, and you will also experience what the Bible refers to as spiritual death, and that is separation from God for eternity. But if you're born again spiritually, you'll still die physically, but you'll never experience spiritual death. So that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's the only way that we're going to overcome the sin nature that we've inherited from Adam and Eve. And that's how we get this reset. Now remember, this is also a spiritual birth, and it's not a physical one. So in verse 4, Nicodemus said, But if a person is already old, how can he be born again? He cannot enter his mother's womb again, so how can a person be born a second time? So Nicodemus is saying, okay, what you're talking about here is a fundamental, radical change from within. I want that, but it's impossible. I'm too old to change. And you'd be surprised how many people believe in things like reincarnation. A husband was reading about reincarnation, and he was really disturbed by it. So he asked his wife, does this mean that I'll come back again as a worm or something like that? And her response was, I don't think you can come back as the same thing twice. So the the Bible doesn't say we're physically reborn, but that we'll die once and then face the judgment. And look at what he says in John 3, verse 5. But Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Unless you were born from water and the Spirit, you cannot enter God's kingdom. I love what William Barclay wrote about that. He said, water is a symbol of cleansing. And Jesus takes possession of our lives when we love him with all our heart and are baptized into him. The sins of the past are forgiven and forgotten. The Spirit is a symbol of power. When Jesus takes possession of our lives, it's not only the past that's forgiven and forgotten. If that were all, we might make the same mess of life all over again. But into our life enters this new power that enables us to do and be what we never thought we could be, which by ourselves we could never do. Water and spirit stand for the cleansing and strengthening power of Christ, which wipes out the past and gives us victory in the future. And that is so true. So in John 3, verse 6, Jesus said, Human life comes from human parents, but spiritual life comes from the Spirit. And then in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, Paul wrote, If anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have gone. Everything is new. Now there's another characteristic, and that is that this actually needs to be personally experienced but it's not easily explained we see the evidence for it and but we can't fully understand it and we have trouble with this concept because it almost sounds as if it's mystical or something like that but it's still a reality and Jesus gives us several examples to prove something can be a mystery but still a reality Who can understand a birth? He picks it up in verse 7. Don't be surprised when I tell you, you must all be born again. The wind blows where it wants to, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where the wind comes from or where it is going. It is the same with every person who is born from the Spirit. So just try and predict where the wind is coming from when the storm is brewing. We, We have no idea. And then in verses 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, the Son of Man must also be lifted up, so that everyone who believes can have eternal life in him. There was a period in Numbers chapter 21 when the Israelites were being bitten by poisonous snakes and they were dying by the hundreds. And Moses was instructed by God to make a bronze snake and place that in some high spot. And then everyone who looked at that snake Would be healed. Did it make sense? No. Did it seem reasonable? No. But it worked because God ordained it. So it's tough to understand how Jesus dying on the cross could save us. But when we surrender our life to Him, our sins are forgiven and we begin a new life. And I know it happens because I've experienced it myself, and I know it happens because I've seen it in the lives of many other people as well. And this new life is by faith. It's not by works. And he addresses this in a familiar verse to us, in verse 16. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him may not be lost, but have eternal life. So do you know what that says? Salvation isn't accomplished by our good deeds or by whoever attends church all the time or whoever tithes their income or by whoever prays every day, but by whoever trusts in Jesus, they will not be lost, but they will have eternal life. And all those other things We want to be doing. We want to be attending church. We want to be doing good deeds. We want to be tithing. We want to be praying every day. But those things alone don't save us. It's the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Early in his basketball career, Michael Jordan scored 69 points in one game. And then there was another guy on the team. He was just a bench warmer, got on once in a while. But toward the end of that game... He got into the game, and he scored one point on a free throw. And then a couple of weeks later, he was interviewed, and he was asked, what was the most memorable event in your pro career? And he said, oh, that would be the night that Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points together. Sounds like Jordan got 40 and this guy got 30. So it's kind of ridiculous for us to boast about what we've done for God. God's the one who provided the salvation. He's the one who came to earth and died on the cross for us, and we're saved by our relationship with him, not by our efforts. Paul addresses this in Titus chapter 3 as well. He saved us because of his mercy. It was not because of good deeds we did to be right with him. He saved us through the washing that made us new people through the Holy Spirit. God poured out richly upon us that Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that's the washing. It came through the Holy Spirit, and God poured that Spirit out on us. That is what is making all the difference in our lives now. And the last characteristic of Jesus' offer to be born again is that it's personal. It's not universal. So we're now in verse 17. God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to save the world through him. People who believe in God's Son are not judged guilty. Those who do not believe have already been judged guilty because they have not believed in God's one and only Son. So that offer of salvation is for whoever will believe, whoever will retust, will actually trust in Jesus, But if we just indifferently reject his offer, he doesn't save us. Back in 1930 in the United States, a man by the name of George Wilson was caught robbing the mail. And in an attempt to escape, he shot and killed a government employee. So he was arrested, he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to be hanged. And for some reason, the President of the United States actually offered the man a pardon. And for some reason, Wilson astounded everyone when he refused the pardon. So the prison officials, they didn't know what to do. How do we deal with this? So they went to the Supreme Court, and this was finally the decision that came back. A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the one who has been pardoned. If it is refused, it is not a pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And he was. God has offered us a pardon from sin and a new life in Jesus Christ. He has offered us a reset. And if a person defiantly rejects that pardon, then it no longer applies to us. Now, we don't know exactly how Nicodemus responded, but there are a couple of passages in the Gospel of John that indicate that he made Jesus the Lord of his life and was born again. So in verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to see Jesus before, was in that group. And he said, Our law does not judge a person without hearing him and knowing what he has done. So that's kind of a mild defense of Jesus. But at least he spoke up, even if it was tentatively. And the other occasion was after the death of Jesus. So now we're in John 19. Later, Joseph from Arimathea asked Pilate if he could take the body of Jesus. Joseph was a secret follower of Jesus because he was afraid of some of the leaders. Pilate gave his permission, so Joseph came and took Jesus' body away. Nicodemus, who earlier had come to Jesus at night, went with Joseph. He brought about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Now, it might have been too late, but at least now Nicodemus was no longer a secret disciple or follower of Jesus. He was admitting his devotion to him. And we wonder, well, why did it take so long? If Jesus makes this fantastic offer of a complete new birth, of beginning a new life, of having a reset, why do people delay in accepting him? Well, there are two reasons why people actually delay their response. And sometimes people wait because they're too in love with the world to give all of that up. So now we're picking up in verse 19. They are judged by this fact. The light has come into the world, but they did not want the light. They wanted darkness because they were doing evil things. All who do evil hate the light and will not come to the light because it will show all the evil things they do. So maybe they're so into the sins of the world or they're so into materialism or greed or drugs or alcoholism. It could be anything. They think that they couldn't give it all up if they came to Christ. So they not only reject Christ, they hate the light, and anyone who represents the light, they don't want anything to do with Christianity because it exposes them. And let's say you approach someone like this and you invite them to come to church with you. And they'll say things like, if I came to church, the roof would fall in. Maybe you could keep pursuing that one actually because we want to get into a church expansion project sometime in the future. Or other people will say, oh, I'd be bored if I came to church. But then they sit at home and they're just staring at their phone or or they're staring at the shopping network on TV. They don't understand that the most fulfilling life is with Jesus and that you'll get to the point where you love to go to church and you're anxious to study the Bible and you want to be together with other Christians. You enjoy it. And we've been missing that in a big way over the past 18 months because we can't do that to the full extent. But some people delay their decision because they're too in love with the world. And then... Sometimes people wait because they think they're supposed to have some sort of emotional experience in order to be born again. So they have a stereotype in mind about what being born again means and they go right to the top for as far as an example is concerned and they choose the Apostle Paul. Here was a man who was going in the total opposite direction. He thought that Christians were enemies of God and he was persecuting Christians, he was killing Christians, and then one day God got hold of him as he was traveling to Damascus, and this bright light struck him down, and he ended up taking a 180-degree turn in his life. And some people think unless this type of thing happens for them, then they're not ready to be born again. And just looking back to the day the church started, this is in Acts chapter 2, and it was on a Jewish holiday called the Day of Pentecost. And those people heard Peter speak, and he presented evidence that they had actually crucified the Son of God. They thought he was an imposter, but Peter proved to them that he was the Son of God. So now they understand this in their heads, and they're thinking, okay, There's got to be more that we do here, more than just mentally agree about who Jesus is. And that's when they were told to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. So nowhere in the Bible is there an emotional standard of what it means to be born again. Jesus said, he who believes in me will have eternal life. He said, acknowledge me publicly, and I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. He said, the one who believes and is baptized will be saved. And the emotion is different according to your age, your temperament, and your background. So don't wait for some big feeling to make it authentic. Every set of parents that I've gone to visit in the hospital after the birth of their new child... They they react in different ways. Some of them are crying the whole time I'm there. Others are just exhausted in the whole process. But they're they're excited, and they're expressing it in their way. And it's the same way in the Christian life. There's no standard of emotion that you're supposed to have in order to be born again. It's simply an invitation from God. Whoever wishes may come to me. And Jesus said, Whoever believes in me will not be lost, but will have eternal life. Say, What an amazing offer! There's no greater offer than that. There is a place of beginning again where all our mistakes, all our heartaches, all our selfish sins can be dropped just like that, where we get a reset. And that's an offer you can't refuse. For God, the greatest being, so loved, that's the greatest emotion that he gave, that's the greatest virtue, his one and only Son, the greatest gift, that whoever believes in him, the greatest simplicity, shall not perish, the greatest promise, but have eternal life. And that's the greatest reward. If you've not yet experienced that and you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus Please talk to me or contact me at the church and we can study together and find out what it means to have that relationship and to be born again.